Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast. My name is Tim and I'm your host. Before we dig into this week's interview, I wanted to remind you of one of our core convictions here at Impact Nations. We actually have seven core convictions, but the one I wanted to read you today says the following. The gospel of God's kingdom carries the power to transform lives. Our goal is to provide the help needed to move both individuals and communities into long-term sustainability, not dependence upon any outside source. In other words, we're always looking for strategies to help others flourish. There are certainly times that immediate intervention is required, and Impact Nations is engaged in those efforts through our feeding programs, clean water efforts, and emergency relief. But in today's discussion with our guest Lauren, she and I take a hard look at how some programs may ultimately lead to dependence rather than human flourishing. I firmly believe that as Christ followers and as leaders, we're required to be regularly asking ourselves how we can do better. And today, you're going to get a sneak peek into what it looks like when we actually ask that question. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast. As usual, my name is Tim. I am your host. And today, I am with our very special guest, Lauren Halloran, who is the uh, what are you, director, founder, CEO, I don't know, of Alternative, uh, which is the, the basic business curriculum that we talk about a lot. If you hang around Impact Nations at all, you hear us talking about uh, the alternative curriculum a lot. So this is Lauren, and she is the, the face behind the alternative curriculum. Welcome, Lauren. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Tim. Yeah. What is your title? What's on your <laughs> business card? <laughs> yeah, on my business card, executive director. Um, but yeah, I operate under all of those. All yeah. of those. Call me what you want to call me. It's fine. <laughs> now, how big are you guys? Like, are are you uh, like? Do you just sit in a in a glass corner office and tell everybody That's else right. what to do? Yeah. That's exactly right. Don't I look like I sit I all day? <laughs> so uh, yeah, we've got a team that works with us. Uh, mostly remote right now. What happened was we had an office here and pretty much everybody had life happen and we love our team. So we're sticking with them. So we've got a, a communications marketing guy out in Spain. I've got a program manager down in Texas. Uh, and we kind of have rotating part-timers through or interns through our office from time to time. Uh, but we're a pretty small organization for what we're trying to do. Uh, but we like that it keeps us closer to our partners. Yeah. Yeah. So I, we're going to just talk about you in a, a little bit in a minute, but I just want to give people a really good understanding as to kind of what you guys do. I mentioned basic business curriculum. Can you give me just kind of your elevator pitch for what you guys are all about? Yeah, sure. So we partner with other organizations and communities. We're, we're a collaborating organization uh, to bring business training, mentorship, all the services around creating like small business and entrepreneurship all around the world so that we can equip individuals uh, to break the cycle of poverty in their community. So it looks different everywhere we go, but the program and the ideas are essentially the same. We've got, you know, a 40 hour curriculum that teaches everything from how to dream and start a business and overcome obstacles to some really practical skills, as well as, you know, like business ethics and how to be a good leader in your community and to others. Um, so for us, getting to partner with organizations like Impact Nations is so exciting because we get to see what you guys are doing and we're there to support and help you in accomplishing your goals and, and furthering your relationships in those communities. Uh, out of curiosity, just what are some of the countries you guys are working in either directly or, or with partners? Yeah, so we, uh, last year I think we were in over 15. It kind of changes year by year. 
-hmm. but we're in like in the Asia region, we're in Thailand, we're in India, we're in Pakistan, Egypt, moving across, coming down a lot of East African countries, Uganda, Rwanda, Kenya, uh, the DRC, we're in Haiti, we're in Nicaragua, Mexico, Guatemala, Costa Rica. We also work with refugees locally. So we've got wow. kind of a lot of things going on in different communities around the world uh, that need various varying levels of like our support and what we have to offer. So some communities are ready to rock and roll. You know, we've been uh, really excited to work with you guys because you can, you can take it out to all the places where you are uh, and really leverage, leverage those relationships in your people and other communities are brand new or church partners are brand new and they say, okay, we want to start something here. We've been doing X, Y, Z and how do we add this? And we kind of help a little more in some of those places. So it just depends. Everywhere's, everywhere's different and the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm interested to know why you do what you do. Like what is, what is the driving force? Is it, uh, is it faith? Is it just because you want to be a good person? Is it, it, was there something personal that drew you to this? What is it? Yeah. Yeah. So essentially I'm a huge nerd. So, um, I think when I look at the things that God has used in my life and pulled together, uh, I never would have gone like, Oh, this is what we'll be doing. But it becomes really, really clear when I look at all the pieces that seem so disjointed, like, and now they're all together. Hmm. So I would say I kind of, kind of stepping back is I was originally wanting to go into medicine when I was younger and took a, like an economics course as an elective for like a sociology credit and went, oh my gosh, this is what we need. This is what the world needs. Like, why aren't we developing economies? Like we keep treating the symptoms, yeah. um, but we're not addressing these underlying systemic issues and infrastructure and, and lack of economic opportunity that would solve all of these problems if we could solve that. Um, so uh, I ended up studying economics and starting helping start a couple businesses and doing things in the meantime, and then going back for graduate degree in international economic development, essentially. It has a lot more letters and names than that, but basically that's what it was. Uh, to try and understand how can we really equip people to be the heroes of their own story? Uh, how can we change an economy and, and bring prosperity to a place that until now has maybe looked at it differently and we've tried to solve, solve cure this poverty problem a lot of different ways and it's not really working. So my uh, passion for what we do and involvement and in starting this organization to do what we do is really comes from this like place of understanding that, that we've got to do more, we've got to do better, we've got to go deeper, and yet there's not really an easy solution for that. I mean, a lot of people that we talk to are like, oh, well, I don't have a business degree. I can't teach business. And I'm like, <laughs> me either. I don't have a business degree either. So, um, but yeah, teaching people how to embrace their creativity and unique potential doesn't really take a business degree. But if we can give them the tools to be able to do that, uh, we just see it as a longer term, larger solution to an issue. I 
um, yeah, I think I don't, I, I sort of, I don't know is the answer to your question. I feel That's like, oh yeah, answer. yeah. I feel <laughs> like, you know, I feel like God uses it all and mm-hmm. uses all of our callings and nerdiness and passions and equippings, but I'm not the like, oh, I just, I just saw it and I broke my heart and I had to go. I was like, oh, I saw it and was like, how can we, how can we do something? Like, great. So I went and, and have a strong uh, belief in like being equipped to do what you do. Mm. You know, I, I don't know if you follow, there's a, a gal named Jamie who's got some stuff out there, but she said, you know, in no other profession other than like humanitarian work and international development, and missions do we see people that go well i was called right i was called so i'm gonna go and so for me i feel like great to be called but also you need to be equipped because like she says you know you don't you don't get on a plane one day and go oh god called me to fly this plane you guys hang on i'm gonna go fly the plane he said he'll equip me so i'm called now i'm equipped and i'm gonna go fly the no like you have to go get training and go to school and learn and do those things so I would say it started for me, this journey started 18 years ago, you know, in an econ class and then has been a process of getting equipped, learning as much as I can, uh, creating something that adds value to others and moving along in that process uh, as best as best we can and learning, learning along the way, learning from mistakes and changing as we go. That's yeah. a really long answer. Sorry. Oh, well, that's kind of, <laughs> that's how we do this here. <laughs> the questions are. I'll just ramble at you. It's fine. <laughs> Perfect. Um, tell me about your walk with the Lord. I mean, you, I, I love what you're saying in terms of uh, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be just a, a call. You don't have to sit around waiting for a call. Um, but how has the Lord equipped you in other ways to do what you do? So that's a really interesting question because I feel like generally I, I I don't really share my testimony much. I feel like like your relationship with Jesus, at least for me, is a really personal, like intimate thing. But what I can say about it is like, I feel like really the hard times and the difficult things are what most prepare you to walk forward in faith and experience God's provision. And so I would say to the, to the extent that in all of these years, I've learned to understand what obedience looks like and that it doesn't look like what I thought it looked like uh, and step out of my, out of my own way and let God lead the way is, is where I've been experiencing like the surprise and delight of Jesus, you know, Mm -hmm. being able to go, okay, my, idea of what this would look like was different, but mm-hmm. that's okay. And, and, and walk through doors that were opening in very unexpected ways or in, in sometimes even difficult circumstances, I don't feel like the door was opened as much as I was shoved through it. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> yeah. okay, there you go. Super. I guess I'm going this way. Okay. Hmm. So I think through those kinds of things or when the surprise and delight of like, oh, I didn't think that this was going to happen. I had no idea what I was looking for in this regard and was able to see his hand aligning things and moving things for me personally, for the company personally, for my family, for all of these things together that you just go, okay, 
Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We got, okay. Well played, sir. Well, well played. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. So, so you said that obedience uh, didn't look like what you thought it was, would look like or what it thought it should look like. What did, uh -huh. what did you think, you know, when you, when you were thinking about the word obedience many yeah. years ago, what did you think that was? What did that look like? Uh, so I would say what it looked like before was obedience to what others had told me and expectations that were on me as mm -hmm. opposed to necessarily listening. Um, yeah, listening and submitting looked very different in my walk than what I thought they were. I don't know if that makes sense. So, um, I, I'm like trying to, to come up with another way of explaining it. That's a little more articulate. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I just think, you know, I have this perception of what the church says or what the elders say or what my women's Bible study says or whatever it is that like, Oh, this is biblical. Oh, this is this. And I, okay. So you think you're walking in that, but really I wasn't necessarily listening and stepping back and going, okay, like what does God want from me and how do I walk into that? And and literally just obey and trust that like, it could all hit the fan. Yeah. Thousand percent. It could all hit the fan. And will I be okay? I don't, I don't really know actually, but turns out through this, through this process of like walking through the door in obedience, it's gone like, Oh, nope. There's a surprise. There's a delight. There's a surprise. There's a delight. And so not, not anything expected and not could have been orchestrated by anyone else, any other people in my life, any other thing, just very obvious, like, okay, great. Where, where are you and what can I bless you with has been the outcome of those things, which has been fun. fun? Can you, I mean, can you say that? Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, can you say that? Okay. Fun to see, fun to experience. Um, and something that I think kind of changes our perspective on, are we really doing and submitting our wills and how do, what does that look like? You know, like if God said, Oh, I, I, my only will for you was to be a good mom or to do whatever, like that's a perfectly great calling. Yes. And yet, I'm, a, I'm an Enneagram three. I don't know if you're into this Enneagram trend. My pastor's been talking about it a lot. I haven't checked it out yet. <laughs> I'm afraid to find out what I am. Oh, you got it. So I'm, a, I'm like the, I got to like gain the respect of others, please others, which is, it's not a beautiful quality. Anyway, <laughs> achieve, achieve. So um, being able to recognize that and go, okay, like, am I willing? What if, what if the will, his will wasn't what I wanted it to be? Hmm. Oh crap. Like that could not, yeah. that could not be what I wanted, but who told us or who like decided that like in this culture, you know, this whole, like you can do anything you set your mind to, well, maybe that door is actually closed for you. Yeah. Like you might set your mind to it, but you might be beating your head against the wall. So that doesn't sound fun. I feel like more fun sounds like surprise and delight. Yeah. Which is an interesting Interesting life lesson to learn in, in my late thirties and going, okay, well, yeah, I thought I, 
I thought I already had this figured out. Nope. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and finding delight in Jesus, no matter the circumstances and no matter the, the mission you happen to be on in that moment, whether it's, uh, you know, being a parent uh, mm -hmm. or, or, you know, being a teacher, whatever it is that, that the Lord's given you to do in that moment, to just delight in him, regardless of what your particular role or calling or mission is in that moment, ultimately, yeah. uh, you know, making him the object of your desire yeah. and your surprise and delight is where you're going to find ultimate satisfaction. If you're, if you're trying to find your satisfaction in, in position, in accomplishment, uh, in uh, how the world sees you, you're, that's a carrot on a stick that you can never actually reach for. Because as soon as right. you get to where you thought you should be, suddenly you think, well, I need to, you know, I need to move up another level or whatever, and you can never get there. Whereas if you just find rest in him and who he made you to be, uh, there's satisfaction in that immediately. Yeah, that's so true. I think um, recognizing that, you know, we're all different parts of the body mm -hmm. and being able to go, okay, well, I'm not her. I'm not him. I'm not this. This is, this is me yeah. and go, okay, I, I can be confident in the things that, that are who I am and that what I've been given and blessed with and uh, whether that's skills, characteristics, personality, all of the three, all of my threeness. <laughs> so, okay. So Maybe I, you know, I might not be an arm. I might be, you know, an elbow or whatever else in the, in yeah. this whole picture. And I might not be the person that's gonna, um, run out to like do different, different, uh, like relationship building things. I might be like, great. How can I administrate this for you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I uh, but that's okay. So we, you know, we all have our different role to play and, different yeah. people, so. you know, actually my wife bethany and i were talking about this just last night because she's reading a book uh i can't remember what it's called i think it's called the king saul syndrome and it's about this you know the uh this world would tell us we have to strive to achieve that top mm -hmm. level you know whether it's king or or you know uh president of your organization or whatever it is you you got to reach for that place where you have ultimate control uh over others ultimate control over your own destiny uh ultimate recognition from others uh, things like that um versus the author is saying effectively that's all rubbish and actually true leaders are constantly propelling others into the limelight and propelling others into their destiny and what the Lord's called them to do and not worrying about, you know, where the spotlight is shining or whatever, but just celebrating in the fact that others are, yeah. uh, are getting to do the stuff. And, yeah. um, you know, that's actually, that's one of the things that I love about, um, about impact nations as I observe dad's ministry, um, when we're on journeys of compassion and he's leading, uh, he, you know, he'll teach people and train people in the first few days, but then very quickly he actually fades into the background and it, it throws people off at first. And they've said to him, I've never seen a leader like you where you just kind of let mm -hmm. us do the, do the stuff. And mm -hmm. he just says, well, yeah, I mean, you came, you came to do this stuff. You didn't come to watch me do it. Uh, and if I'm doing it, then it leaves less room for you to do it. So, get back out there and go do the stuff and way to go. That's amazing. And at the end of the day, his job as a leader is really just to, to start 
cheering on what what others have been doing in the kingdom all day and and saying you that was amazing i saw you do that tell everybody the story or whatever and i i want to be like that when i grow up i want to be that kind of leader who can fade into the background and celebrate what the lord is doing through other people Mm -hmm. this is why we're such good partners (laughs) (laughs) yeah and this is what you guys do yeah that's how we handle the same but with like national leaders and trying to equip our national leaders and our national staff and stakeholders to like be empowered to do the thing, you know, get out there and teach it, get out there and practice it and make it yours. Uh, yeah. I just think that's, that's far more rewarding to hear the stories that are coming back when I get emails from you guys, or I get emails from, from, from Nepal and what's going on. And it's so exciting to be like, yes, we're helping them and they're doing the thing and it's making a difference. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious, actually, because our, our listeners hear lots from us uh, about some of the amazing things that are going on um, in our skills and, and business development programs. Uh, the one that they hear the most of because we started it the soonest or, or the earliest or whatever has been going the longest is, is Annabelle and the Remnant Generation. Annabelle was actually a guest on this podcast a few weeks back. But um, you guys are doing it all over the world. And I, I wonder if you could just share a few stories of how things are going in the rest of the world from some of your other partners and just encourage yeah. our listeners with, with what God is doing. Yeah. So um, stories are stories are great and I love stories, but I already said I'm like the nerdy economist, right? So I like the, <laughs> I like the numbers too. Yeah. So I'll give you a little bit of both. So one of the projects that we've been working really hard on for the last couple of years is down in Haiti. Um, and we've got a partner down there that runs a school. In 1991, he actually started a school for children in his community. Um, and it's been growing and growing. I think they have over 2,000 students now. Wow. But supporting 2,000 Haitian students is a really expensive endeavor. So our partner organization in North Carolina that works down there has been, you know, supporting and sponsoring kids and doing that for a long time. And then recently in the last couple of years has realized like what we might actually be hindering them, you know, supporting them limits how many students they can take if they can support themselves and they can generate the income. There's, there's no limit to what they can do. So uh, we started with some training down there originally of staff and teachers and some local leaders uh, and, and those guys have taken it and they've really taken off everything from, from your small, like cell phone charging stations. If you follow our Vimeo or follow our page, we have some of their stories up, uh, with some video interviews of what they're doing and literally on the side of the road with, with the little generator and charging the phones. Um, but then a couple other really exciting things have been happening. So one is we had a, a gentleman who started a solar light installation business. So he goes to the nearest city, which is about an hour away, and is able to bring them back and install them. And now that's, that's his business. He wow. is installing infrastructure and things that are life-changing in the community as a business opportunity that also supports him and his family. Uh, and then the school itself opened a snack shop next to the school so that students and other members of the community can come, and that supports the lunches that they give students. And then the founder of the school actually opened in conjunction with, I believe, two or three other of the staff, uh, like a little what you and I would look at as a a Home Depot, like a home improvement store in the town that's got, you know, a stall with all kinds of building supplies and things that are happening. So 
they're able to fund, you know, their family, their investment back into the school and all of those kinds of projects are happening just within one small rural farming community hmm. um, in central Haiti, which is really exciting. And the other thing that I think is like the totally other side of the story is, is here in the U.S. So here we've got some refugees that went through our program up in the Denver area. And we've been seeing really exciting things coming out of that. So we have one that's open to catering business and she does coffee catering and uh, Ethiopian food and different things. Um, and a lot of times like our stories that come out don't even look what you like what you and I would think they look like. Like the fact is we did a training with a dozen refugees from all different communities. I think they were from maybe five or six different countries. And one of the best things about it was watching them interact with each other in the same room and, and solve each other's like problems. Okay. Well, one guy goes, well, uh, I'm a pastor of a church here. I said, okay, well, how does that support you and your family? Oh, it doesn't, you know, refugees have, have really nothing to tithe to another refugee. Uh, so he goes, oh, it doesn't. And, but I have access to a building and the people around him started going, oh, you know what you could do? Our seniors actually really need something to get out of the house and be social. Can you serve lunch on Fridays? so that we can bring our parents and our elderly to your church to sit around and like visit with each other. And yeah, yeah. What would you pay for that? Okay. So all of these connections that happen where they're supporting each other in business, they're cheering each other on um, and, and solving needs and issues in their community. Like for us, that's a huge win knowing that we've got a widow who says like, Oh, I have friends now. I, hmm. I, wow. you know, I'm, I'm glad that she's able to sell some of her goods in the market. It's never going to be, you know, a big business like you and I think of, but the fact is like you can feed your family and you have confidence to have more friends now. Yeah. Winning. Right. Absolutely. So those are the kinds of things that are exciting to hear about. Um, story wise, I think yeah. numbers wise for me, I always come back to like, yeah, job creation. Yes. Income's in increasing 40 to 70%. Like, that's really impactful for families. Mm -hmm. But I love that like our graduates are telling 16 other people, friends and family on average, the lessons that they've learned. They're going back home and they're teaching others and they're sharing it. And so it's creating this like exponential multiplier effect in places where this kind of training and education just doesn't exist. It's not affordable. It's not feasible or, or there's no access because like you can't read. If you can't read, it's really hard to go take a class at any business center unless there's a program specifically for you. So this program can be used, you know, by any level of education. Typically we usually see, you know, ages 16 and up depending, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, we say like 16 to 95 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people are doing things from all over. People are hustling to survive. And if we can take the hustle and make it profitable, um, then, then there's so, so much greater impact that can be had for families through yeah. that kind of, through that kind of program. Yeah. I, I think uh, so many things to say from what you've just said, but one of the things that surprised me, and I, I've said it on this podcast before, but my understanding of what a business is, has really shifted over the last year as I spent time. I think for me, when I, when I went to Kenya to see what our partner there is doing and helping people get small businesses started, I, when I think of a business, you know, I'm thinking like a retail location mm. or some, you know, some brick and mortar sort of thing. And and here I'm seeing, uh, 
you know, single moms who are walking the streets. The, the smallest one I think I ever saw was a, a lady who had a, a thermos of hot tea and some cups and her mm. business is just going up and down the street serving tea to other business owners. And I, like for me, it just blew my mind. And I asked her like, are you able to support your family? Yeah. Yeah. My kids are in school and we eat and everything. And it's like, that's, that's the win, right? Like right. we don't, you know, it, you don't have to have six employees or, or 20 employees to be called a business. I mean, if you're able to support your family when a year ago you couldn't, your kids weren't in school because you couldn't afford their uniform or whatever, mm-hmm. that's a massive win. Uh, yeah. Or take them to the doctor. I mean, you know, yeah. how many times do you see like, oh, well, yeah, I, I, because we're so well, so connected all over, get, you know, a lot of messages of pray for my family, pray for my daughter. She's sick, pray for this. And And like, yes, of course, we'll pray for you. But at the same time, like the ability for you to be able to take them to a clinic and get an antibiotic. Yeah. I, you know, you can't, I don't know. You can't put like a price tag on that. So. All right. Quick advertisement break. I promise I won't be long. We'll get back to Lauren in just a second. But I thought with all this talk of uh, sustainability and small business and stuff, I I thought it'd be good just to direct you to one specific program that we're doing that is uh, doing those very things. Um, It's called the Elevate Program. It's happening in the slums of Kampala, uh, where our, our friend and frequent collaborator Trinity is helping kids escape a life of gang, uh, gang activity and poverty uh, and finding a new lease on life uh, where they're getting skills training uh, specifically in photography and graphic design and web development. Um, there is a massive high-tech industry out there, and if these kids can get uh, skilled in some of these next-generation skills, uh, the sky's the limit for them. And so I want you to head to impactnations.com elevate, uh, where you're going to see a couple of really cool videos that they've made that just give you a glimpse into the life that these uh, kids are escaping uh, and the hope that is coming as a result of this new training that they're receiving. Uh, and of course, built right into all of our training, as we've said with Lauren, is uh, the alternative curriculum where they're getting basic business development stuff as well. So uh, if you head to impactnations.com slash elevate, you can learn more about it. Uh, If this is something, this small business stuff, uh, rescuing and restoring and then releasing people into uh, a new life where they're standing on their own, if that's something that interests you, I would encourage you to have a look at the Elevate program and and see if that's something you'd like to give towards because we are absolutely seeing lives transformed and rescued and uh, it's going to be a generational change. So it's very exciting. So uh, that's all I have to say about that. And now back to the podcast. So you and I have a challenge, you perhaps more than me, because I I can play both sides of the fence in our ministry. But um, there is sometimes the compelling story of this family uh, needs our help because they are homeless or because they, you know, they can't afford the medicine for their sick kid or whatever. It, uh, I don't want to sound crass, but sometimes uh it pulls on the heartstrings and it's easy to sell if you will as a uh-huh. as a marketer who is trying to raise money for ministry sometimes those things are really mm-hmm. in the moment hey if we just raise $2000 we can get this family out of a jam or whatever uh, on the flip side um the work that you do and the work that we do as well in terms of this skills and business development side of things is a much 
Mm -hmm. uh, it takes longer. Uh, the fruit will be much larger over a lifetime, mm -hmm. but it's not instant gratification in terms of a donor. Like, mm -hmm. so right now, you know, we're, we're just uh, responding to floods in Northern India, which is, it's important stuff. Like it really is. And that's why we do it. People mm -hmm. have lost their homes and uh, are getting sick. So we're getting clean water to them and things like that. There's an immediate need and it's an easy story to tell. Hey, a bunch of people lost their homes, flood came. Now we've got a team that's going to go and bring them medicine and food and clean mm -hmm. water. Who wants to help? That's, it's kind of a no brainer. It's a quick sell. Uh, I'm being very transparent here with our listeners, but um, on the flip side, the other side of that is um, the long-term development side, which is, it takes a long time and it's hard yeah. and you don't see the instant results and it can, it can at times be a larger investment. Um, so how do you, <laughs> how do you package that message and how do you help, help people, potential donors begin to understand the incredible value of uh, the old adage, you know, you could give a man a fish and he'll eat for one day, or you can teach a man to fish. So how do you get yeah. people to start teaching people to fish, to start buying yeah. fishing rods instead of fish? Well, to also be transparent with your donors, I don't know that we do that very well. So <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. It's not, um, it's not a sexy sell to say, hey, I want to yeah. teach a business class when I could also put a picture of a kid in a uniform with a cute hair bow on your fridge. Like, yeah. uh, you know, we're, we live in Colorado Springs. Um, we work with a lot of ministries and, and you can think of the big ones here that do that exact kind of programming and they're really good at it and they're really successful with it because it's easy for me, especially, especially as a mom to go like, look at this kid, right? Like, I have a kid, I need to help this child. And so it connects really easily with the heart. Um, that being said, like even those big organizations that do that are moving towards this. Um, but they're moving towards it more slowly than I think they could be because they have lots of uh, power behind them and staff and outreach to be able to do these things. But even they can't do it quickly because it's not just donors that don't necessarily understand the importance and the value of doing this kind of work, but it's funders too. It's granting organizations. So we apply um, for secular grants. We apply for government grants. We apply for all kinds of things. And frankly, even a funder wants to fund, like, can I build a well? Cause I can see that that's done in 12 months. That's a project and it gets done like tracking with you and supporting you and like knowing that, well, in three months you started your business, but then you're, how to family emergency, like how do we help you overcome obstacles and stick with it for the long term is hard. It's hard work to do. It takes strong relationships. It takes a big commitment in a community um, and it takes funding. But if we can get somehow get the message out there that like it's actually much more cost effective. So again, being here, we see a lot of um, sponsored kids that have grown up and gone through these programs come back and they'll host a dinner or breakfast or whatever and tell their story you know thank you for your support you know i wouldn't be here without you and so cool so i sit there and i go okay how many brothers and sisters do you have how many of them were sponsored well technically this organization is only allowed to sponsor one kid per family this one does one kid per family so we have 11 children in our family and two of them got sponsored two of them got to go to school we got a mattress, we got, um, you know, things provided for us that we took back to our family. And basically, the, you know, the kids don't 
the kids don't get the mattress, the kids don't get the things because that's how it works in families, right? No, but two of us got to go to school and my sisters who were older than me that didn't, you know, they already had families and were teenage moms and didn't make it past, you know, fourth grade, sixth grade at most. And so they now live on our family land, which let's say we had two acres to begin with. Now my parents have, you know, five other families living on this two acres and the family resources have actually declined, even though you're yourself doing better, which is a hard place to be in a culture that says like, it really is one for all. There's no one for one. You are part of this family. You support your family, but yet you can never get ahead because now you're supporting, I don't know, 50 other people. Right. Um, so to be able to have those conversations and to go, okay, but how long, how long does that take it? What it, what, what's the going rate these days? 38 bucks a month, I think. Th- yeah. 30, 30, 40 bucks a month uh, of that over the course of your lifetime. Like what if we had given your parents training for business? What would that mean? And immediately the light bulb shifts and goes off and goes, oh, well, we all could have gone to school. Like, school is not that expensive paying our school fees, you know, and providing all of these things. is not that expensive, but if my parents could have done it, they would have done it for all of us. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know that we, we capture those stories in a way that is as compelling as the, we built a water well, or we gave this things and we feel really good about ourselves. But to the extent that we're able to communicate, like, this is a good investment. We have to stop thinking about our, our giving as a charitable gift that basically just alleviates our, our guilt of, of coming from a wealthy, prosperous nation. Yeah. Um, and instead of like tipping out of our charitable giving is like, oh, well, I should be doing this. And, and call, it, call it investing. I'm investing in people's lives. I'm investing in the future. I'm investing in the, in the future of our of our planet because I'm investing in people and stabilizing regions and, and like jobs bring peace. So all of these things, like we have to, I don't know, somehow make that more compelling is like, Hey, investing is where it's at. Not just uh, philanthropy, charity, charitable giving kinds of activities, but like do the things that are going to invest in people yeah. Long term, you know, there's always going to be humanitarian relief. That's it. There's always going to be an earthquake or a flood or something, Absolutely. right? Yeah, we got sure. I think it. like there's a hundred percent a place for that. Like in that's why it's relief and development, right? We've got to meet the immediate need, but how do we move beyond that? Because otherwise, we're just perpetuating poverty. It just keeps going yeah. and going. And when you're when you're you know, child in the community grows up and comes back and says, "Oh, I went through this program. It was so great. And thank you guys so much. Now my son is sponsored." I think we should think like, is that a success? Why do we think that that's a success? To me, it sounds like the opposite of success. Like if your children still have to be sponsored, then I don't think that program was doing you the service they thought they were doing. Um, But, but from a marketing perspective, it's really hard. And (laughs) I'm I'm wondering, do you ever get in trouble from the community? I mean, you and I are, are both in the community of, of charitable organizations or whatever. Do you, do you get flack for talking about that? Because that's a hard message. Like, I, I mean, that's oh. even, even for me to hear it. And I, I, I agree with it wholeheartedly, but it's also, it's hard because yeah. many of our Christian brothers and sisters are engaged in these activities and they're, mm-hmm. 
uh, I mean, they, they are impacting people for Christ and people are hearing the gospel and experiencing the gospel and all those things. But again, the sustainability, as you said, if, if you just have to keep on doing a generation sure. after generation, that's not. Yeah. So two things about that. Number one is I would say personally, the way that I am called is, and I think, you know, God can always change this. He can always say, no, no, I'm calling you to something else. But I will say that the way that I'm called is to serve people's needs, not um, what I'm trying to say. I'm not an evangelist, right? So what's your number one goal? Is your number one goal evangelism or is it like helping people, helping poor people, helping you know homeless people, whatever your organizational goal is? Mm-hmm. So for me, um, I'm, I'm not driven by the same motives of some organizations. I'm very much driven by the motive of uh, economics and alleviating poor, hurting, suffering people. Um, I love that I can do that in the spirit of Christ and he's equipped me in that way. And then I can serve and love others. Uh, and if they want to have a conversation, great. I'm all about it. You know, we've got curriculum that meets that need. We've got curriculum for all different kinds of places and organizations, but Personally, I know that like where I'm called is to serve others. Is that where you're called? Great. Take this and use it. Is that, are you called to something else where, you know, we work with organizations in Pakistan that um, are reaching the marginalized Christians there because that's the poorest of the poor. They're not a faith-based organization. They're not um, called to necessarily evangelize, but I know that we're serving our brothers and sisters in hard places uh, through through unexpected ways. And it doesn't always look like what we think it'll look like. Um, in regards to what do I say in my community? Not all that. (laughs) So, (laughs) So the tricky part is like, if I'm hosting, you know, our gala, we bring in probably around 150 people a year to our gala. And I can only say so much because that is my audience. My audience and my donors are the same people who are compelled and have a heart for those things are also coming to my event. Mm -hmm. And so I would say it's not necessarily one or the other, but like how shifting and also bringing into light this long-term goal and this other bigger picture and opening people's eyes. I mean, we've been told this for years. So, so you, you and I both know we inherited essentially ministries and missions that have looked the same way for 30 years, 40, 50 years. You know, and, and when you know better, you do better. And so how can we shift people? But our donors have been sold this story for a really long time. Yeah. So I got to say, I don't really try and necessarily like change my donor's mind. I just try and go, okay, you know, you know who else is saying this? Uh, Poverty Cure is saying this. The Acton Institute is saying this. Like these really big faith-based think tanks are saying this. And I let them say it because if I say it, <laughs> it might be construed as offensive. So I had to be careful. Now, when I speak in like public forums or lectures at the university or something, then I feel like I can, oh, you're not my donors? Super. I can tell you all <laughs> what yeah, I really think. Sure. I have nothing to lose here. But it's like, as an organization, one of those games you play is how do I, how do I uh, win friends and influence people? to doing mm-hmm. some other things that are yeah. different maybe than the way you've thought about them before. Um, and not in a way that's saying like, Hey, all those things are bad. Like they all have a place. I'm just saying, 
I think this might be more impactful and we should maybe start shifting some resources this direction. Yeah. Like lots of resources. Can we have lots of resources? Lots of resources. <laughs> you know, it's one interesting thing. You know who else is saying it actually? Hmm. The people themselves, the, the electorate are saying that because if you, if you look at polls, you know, around this time of the election cycle, they start to ask the question, you know, what issues are most important to you? And we'll see what it is this year because we're in quite an extraordinary time in America. But uh, very often, uh, it's jobs. You know, yeah. we need jobs. And, yeah. you know, we say that as, as a populist. Mm. We say we need jobs. And yet as donors, we kind of think differently. Like they need charity. No, yeah. they need jobs. <laughs> They're the I, same as you and me. <laughs> yeah, and the tricky part is like, uh, even as an organization that's appealing, so appealing to donors because we've got a clientele that can't basically afford our services, right? So that's why right. nonprofits exist is great. These people can't afford our services, but we know that they're needed. How do we fill that gap? Mm -hmm. um, and then we see a lot, and I don't know if you guys experience this as, uh, since you're more on the ministry side, um, but we definitely experience the donor, the funder, the grantor that says, yeah, okay, but we want it all in programs. Okay. But like, my program is teaching people things. So essentially my people are my program and yet you don't want to fund things that need to be funded to make this happen. Um, and, and I think it's just a lot of shifts need to take place is like, okay, well, if we're going to operate as a business, like we teach business. So we want to operate, uh, in a sustainable way. You know, we don't want our employees burnt out. We don't want them underpaid. We don't want them not having health insurance and retirement and everything else that a job we want we want jobs should mm -hmm. be providing. Um, then how do we create that and create that mind shift in our donor? That's like, okay, well, just because we run a nonprofit doesn't mean that we have to treat people this way and have them live in poverty to work for us. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of things I feel like as far as shifting perspectives, mm -hmm. it, we still have a lot, you know, you start to see the, the the wave coming but i i don't think we're there yet i don't know how long it'll take to get to where okay we all think differently about this now maybe it's generational maybe it's just just takes a long time because we've been fed the same messages um yeah. but as an organization i struggle with what's our role to play there because the more we're afraid to say it because we don't want to offend a donor the more the mindset doesn't change for us or anyone else sure yeah, and we, if we know don't have the courage to start the conversation then right progress and the other people that are saying this right are our our clients our beneficiaries that are saying like this is what we want this is what we need mm. we don't really want to stand here and be like this all the time we want to take care of ourselves so um that i think when we listen to the voices of the people that we serve we get a much different picture than the voices of what we're serving with. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of my perspectives on this stuff, just in terms of sustainability for us, is uh, this, your curriculum helps our partners become more sustainable themselves. So not just our, it's not only that they're teaching others how to start a small business, you know, and we do some micro loans for as little as a hundred, $150 um, to go and get something started. And they take the, what they've learned from your curriculum and they go and they're able to 
get their kids into school or, or pay for the medicine or what have you. Um, but also our partners, as they're actually teaching this stuff, they're now beginning to implement it and dream big themselves. And so we've got, um, we've got several businesses that we have helped get started with startup capital, taking the, their new knowledge that they've been teaching with your mm. curriculum. And now those small businesses are starting to earn a profit and pour back those profits into these programs so that our goal is, you know, when we start a, a vocational school, so to, such as um, the school of purpose in Uganda, I don't want to have to keep on coming back to donors every, every year and saying, Oh, Hey, we need another $20,000 to get it going again. Mm -hmm. What I want is a few years from now to be able to say, guess what? We don't need any more funding for that because using the knowledge that they've, they've acquired, they've now gone out and started three, four, five businesses and the revenue from those businesses, the profits from those businesses are actually funding the teachers and the learning materials and things for the school of purpose. So, now let's figure out, and that doesn't mean, by the way, donor, I don't need your money. <laughs> what that means is, hey, donor, more than one let's, place. <laughs> let's dream big on what's next. What can yeah. we do next to start the cycle again or, you know, reinvest in these people who have already done so much with what we've provided and see what they can do now with it. Yeah. Um, so I think the power of business is, is huge. Um, it requires courage. And, you know, I mean, there's, um, venture capitalists well know that not every business they invest in is going to go smoothly or, or, you know, even survive. Um, mm. So it does take courage and faith and all those things. But um, if we don't take the leap, then we'll just keep on having to keep funding these same programs over and over again. Whereas, you know, if we take the risk and provide the ongoing coaching and stuff, we could reap some huge rewards. Yeah, I love that. And I love that, like, the idea, you know, is that it becomes almost like a uh, a virtuous cycle, you know, where one thing inspires another, and we just keep growing and we keep going up. Um, and that's that's the goal, that's the dream, that's the vision. And so for us, like the way we do that again is through partners like you guys, you know, because we can't be everywhere all the time, and we certainly don't want to limit ourselves to well, we're a small organization, so we can go, you know, to this one community. No, like we feel like we've been given this gift. And so how can we leverage that for everybody else? Because yeah. uh, this, this is the stuff that, that makes the big long impact. So, yeah. 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 And, and I mean, we, we operate very similarly. Our, our mission statement directly says we partner with leaders in the developing world. So then we take that and we go with our partners. And it's not what I love is, you know, when, when you get photos back from our projects and stuff, what you don't see is a whole bunch of white faces doing the stuff it's we're working with local leaders who embody our values or whatever and go and take mm -hmm. the resources we're providing whether as the alternative curriculum or startup capital required um, it could be learning how to pray for the sick uh, learning how to preach the gospel all these things um, they take that and go and bring it in a, a culturally uh, contextualized way that's going to have the maximum impact yeah uh, and they're being empowered to go do it themselves and again it comes back to that leadership model that dad has demonstrated which is hey I'll give you the tools now you go do it yeah uh, I'm not gonna do it for you yeah but isn't that also I mean I like when you refer to your dad it's like and this is what dad has done but like <laughs> that's also what the father has done for us right so I love that I love that that's exactly 
you know, what we hope to emulate and the example that's been set before us. Yeah. And the cool thing, I, I, I like the fact that you talk about like, you're not an evangelist. And so that's not your specialty. So you're not going to, you're not going to go and try to be something you're not. You've been given specific gifts and skills uh, in, in business and in teaching and things like that. And so you can take those and provide these amazing tools. Now I know your curriculum does incorporate the gospel and actually I'd like to ask about that in a minute, but, um, but you provide that to those of us who perhaps are evangelists and, and have that baked right into our, our programs and stuff. So we can take, uh, those two things and put them together. And so when our, when our partners are teaching your curriculum, they are, um, there's a phrase, adorning the gospel, which is to mm. say, you know, they are dressing up the gospel with the good works. And so they're saying, mm -hmm. hey, uh, it's not just, hey, be warm, be filled. Here's, um, here's, the, here's the gospel and now go fend for yourself. It's, hey, Jesus loves you so much that he sent us not, to, not only to tell you about his, his love and affection for you, but also to demonstrate it with this really cool curriculum that you, if you learn and put it into practice, it will transform your life. Uh, and for generations will transform your family. Uh, mm -hmm. That's exciting when it all comes together into one picture for us. Yeah. You guys have a curriculum that you mentioned actually is kind of different levels in terms of uh, secular versus faith-based and stuff like that. And um, you and I were talking earlier uh, up today before we started recording uh, just about how in India we're actually for the sake of the safety of our instructors and stuff, we're actually choosing the uh, secular curriculum because we don't want anything in writing that the government, because there's a lot of persecution there, uh, the government can come and say, well, see, you're just, this business school is just a front for mm -hmm. Jesus stuff. Um, but so what we're actually doing, if I recall correctly, is we're translating, right now we're in the middle of translating into Hindi all of your curriculum. And we're doing the, the faith-based version and then we're going to kind of extract uh, some of the faith stuff so that, again, there isn't evidence, if you will, of our preaching the gospel. But what I'm curious to know, what are some of the elements we'll be extracting for the safety of our, our yeah. partners? So to clarify, so we don't really, I would say that our curriculum doesn't preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that our curriculum supports business practice with biblical truth. Mm. And so one of the things that I think makes our curriculum so effective in communities, no matter where it is, is that we are not coming in um, and preaching like, this is what the Bible says, so, so do this. Mm -hmm. We're saying, this is, this is how to have an effective business. And also, by the way, like, hey, this is biblically true. And so it's not, they're both, both elements are there. It's more in how it's presented and how we talk about things. So we're not saying um, in, in a lecture preacher style, you got to do A, B, and C. We're saying, hey, A, B, and C are going to work for you. And they're also like the things that God says are good for you. Mm. Um, so our, our, scripture support i would say like we have scriptural support to everything that we're teaching we're teaching good customer service we're teaching how to be a good neighbor how to turn the other cheek and like customer service doesn't exist in a lot of the world so that experience that i know that you had tim last time you were in nordstrom's trying on shoes <laughs> and they brought you a bottled water and they waited on you that doesn't that's not a thing 
Like yeah. me being like, sure, here, where's my money? Because I'm on my phone is a thing, right? So how do we teach them to really see people and value people? Because that's also scripturally based that we see people, we value them, we value their meeting their needs before our own. Um, and, and a lot of those concepts that we bring in, we're talking about Proverbs, about the ant, you know, say, saving little by little. Uh, we're storing up for the winter. We're making sure that we have a plan for our future. We know that we were created with a purpose and creativity and all of these pieces that we're able to say like, hey, there's a God who loves you and cares about this stuff yeah. without necessarily um, approaching it from the same evangelical methodology of, okay, like this is this is what Jesus did for you, what he died on the cross for. And this is, you know, he loves you. Come to, come to, come to faith. Um, but we're building relationships and places where relationships have never been built. I love uh, this quote that we got from a gal in Nicaragua. She's a a street missionary. See, I don't even know missionary terms. So they do like street, (laughs) street evangelism, youth evangelism, skits and dramas and stuff on the streets. And, um, and to be perfectly honest, like the most difficult thing in the most places where I fail is almost always around culture and people. And so she came to our training in Nicaragua and, and there wasn't any out and ra- out, but you could just tell we were like rubbing each other. Like she does this thing. I do this thing, but she doesn't understand why this is important. And I'm like, this is really important. Yeah. <laughs> so, so at the end she goes, you know, I got to know people. She, I think she said, I got to get down and dirty with other people's lives in a way that I've never been able to do before. Because I'm practically helping them. I'm listening to their hopes and dreams for a future. And like what we're talking about is the real day-to-day stuff and allowed me to speak into them and to listen better to what they're going through than like anything that I've ever seen before. And I was like, you know, it's one of those moments where you're like, okay, like we all, we all get it. Like there's, I'm glad that you're there for them. You live there permanently. You're there for all of these other needs that we are not there for. Um, But to be able to see that like, this is powerful stuff, like business and people's lives and like, yeah, acts of service, doing those kinds of things is powerful stuff. So the curriculum is, it kind of proceeds in that manner is, is here's a business principle Here's biblical truth that supports this business principle. And in a lot of regions, like I'm thinking of the Congo and I'm thinking of some different places where um, Christianity and your faith like is also gives authority to what we're saying. Right. So if I tell you to save, I'm just a, I'm just an American woman that says, Hey, you know what? You should be saving. And you're thinking, you don't know what my life's like. You don't know that I only make a dollar a day. You, I can't save. I can't do that. I don't need to. You told me who cares. But if I say, okay, well, it's also flip open here. This is where you can find God's word about saving for the future and preparing for the future and being wise about what you're spending and all of those things. Like, it's not me. I'm not saying these things. Um, There's a certain like authority and truth that comes from that. Hmm. That makes it more, not just more accepted, but more implemented and practiced, I feel like. Um, So yeah, we have secular, we have faith-based, we have faith-based companies using secular, we have secular companies using faith-based, we have kind of partners doing all different things. And we do really feel like we were called to really support all, uh, 
God cares about all people. So if you're supporting Hindus or Muslims or Christians, we don't care. Yeah. We want to be there. We want to support and we want to see people thrive. Awesome. Yeah. I'm curious. You're, sometimes I, I look at your curriculum and I think, man, this is stuff that I need to learn too. Like I could do better <laughs> in my own life. Do you ever look at people in North America and their financial situation and stuff and say, oh my goodness, you just need to take our course? <laughs> I think it's even a process for us as a company. And we're like, okay, like this is, you know, these are truths that you, that you should be living by. And as an individual, I go, okay, like, do I have, do I save with these things in mind? You know, when we, when we talk about saving, we're very like kind of Dave Ramsey about it. We say, okay, we're going to yeah. save in categories because what we find is a lot of times, like maybe an emergency happens, but you spend everything on that or somebody uh, in one of the cultures that's very family oriented, will come up and say, oh, well, my, my auntie needs X, Y, or Z. So I basically bankrupt my family to help my auntie. But, but when it's her turn, she'll help me. So there's this thing, but like, how do we save in categories so we can help you and also not bankrupt our family? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but those are things that, oh man, they're helpful to all of us, right? That's helpful. That's good news to all of us. Yeah. Good. I, I feel like that. Like what we're teaching is literally the good news. Like, here's the good news about your future. Here's the good news about, um, you know, sur- not just surviving, but thriving and all of these things. So, yeah. uh, yeah, we all, we, we all need it. We might teach it a little bit slower and oversimplify a little bit more than most of us could handle, Yeah. but maybe it makes it sink in more. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Some of us are more simple than others. <laughs> uh, um, what I, I'm aware of the time and so I need to wrap up, but yeah. I, there's one other question that uh, even just from a personal standpoint, I, I really hope you have an answer for you mentioned that you hinted at it a second ago, which is the uh, culturally very much. And I, th- I, I encounter this mostly in Africa uh, we were African nations, we work in Uganda and Kenya, uh, and Uganda, especially there is a mental, this family mentality of, you know, Hey, what's yours is mine. What's mine is yours or whatever. It's yeah. very, uh, on the surface that could sound very honorable, but at, at times actually it just leads to what we would call outright theft. Um, mm. and there is this, I, we, I've even seen it happen in some of our programs and it's disheartening when you, help somebody get started with a business and then their mom who doesn't understand or their dad who doesn't understand uh, basically starts taking cash out of uh-huh. the business because they're like, well, don't you understand? We need groceries this week. And the, mm-hmm. the issue now, of course, obviously is, well, yeah, but now I can't reinvest in getting the supplies I needed to serve my customers next week and my business mm-hmm. is over. You just killed it. Um, yep. And at the beginning, of course, of a business, as, as most would know, there's not much in the way of realized profit for several months. Uh, and so if you remove c- capital from a business at the very beginning, it just kills it. How do we, how do you communicate that to people? Uh, and are there some very specific um, things that you can do to mm-hmm. stop that from happening? Yeah. So we touch, most of that's covered in our budgeting and savings lessons. Like how do we budget for the future? So if we find that if you, you already have a plan for what you're going to do with that money, then mentally you're less susceptible to, to giving it or allowing it to be taken or whatever. Like there's a plan for that. 
if I know that like next month I need to buy a new oven or whatever it is for my, for my business, then I'm, that's less likely to happen. So that deters it a little bit. Saving in categories deters it a little bit, but in some places for us, I would say the hardest place for us would be a region like Pakistan where we work uh, specifically on women's empowerment initiative initiatives there. Mm -hmm. and, and women can't own a bank account and don't have access to resources. And typically a brother, uncle, father takes it. Wow. Right. So uh, Pakistan actually has the lowest rate of female entrepreneurship in the world, just 1%. Um, and by comparison, I think Kenya has like 28% or something. Uh, Uganda has 28%. Um, so we're, we're looking at these issues and going, well, how can we, who aren't in the culture, who don't have to live this every day, like how can we support and help these kinds of issues? Um, and it just depends place by place. So for instance, in Pakistan, co-ops are really effective at this. Like when we say like, oh, it's not just my business, it's me and these three other ladies. So no husband, you can't take it, it's not mine. Like, you know, every month I'll get to bring home this amount or every week I'll bring home this amount and that is for our family. One of our categories is going to be for our family. Um, but, but operating in those cultures and those places, you're right, just becomes super difficult if you don't have a way to like have some kind of group accountability. Um, in other areas, it's easier when you have family buy-in. So if I can train a couple or a family instead of just one husband, one wife separately, um, then they, they're more on the same page. They're more likely to have success with these things. Um, we, we do this really funny role play in the skit in the curriculum where, um, the husband comes to the wife and says like, Hey, I need money to go to town. Uh, do you have money? And she's like, I don't have any money. He's like, okay, that's fine. Just sell a pig. Oh no, we can't sell a pig. Like that's how we, that's how we're going to pay for school. Okay. Well, that's fine. Just sell a you know, what a chicken, whatever. No, no, that's how we're paying for this and that and the other. And he gets really frustrated. And she's like, what's so important in town? He's like, well, well I want to go watch sports with my friends. I need money. <laughs> like, give me the money. And she's like, no, you spent the transport money. We had a budget for that. You already spent it going to town with your friends. And so we basically get to the end of the skit of her continuing to say like, no, no, dear husband, I just, this is our business. And at the end, he's like, okay, wife, I can see that you're right. Will you teach me how to do this? And it's like, like around the world, the funniest thing we do. It's so universal of like this. Yeah, right. Like she, like he's going to go, oh yeah, that's, yeah, yeah you're right. No one ever. <laughs> she says, she says, if you want to go get, you know, if I want to go back to town, then I have to go work some more so I can make some money. Okay, I'll do that. So, <laughs> so we try and like, I feel like we gently insert these things, but, um, but we, ah, it's a really tricky thing to overcome and depending on it's kind of location specific as to how we try and overcome that. I'm curious if you've seen in other areas, like, um, if you, if you guys are doing more co-op big business kind of things in other areas too, if that's been effective for you, because there in some ways, there's only so much you, you can do. Yeah. And, so, it, and it's really up to the individual. Yeah. I'll have a better answer for you on that in a few months. We're starting a, like a cooperative type of thing in uh, Kalanga, Uganda, which is a community mm -hmm. we've worked in for years. 
uh, and I mean, have seen massive transformation just in terms of uh, they've now, we, we built a school uh, for them a f few years ago and there's hundreds of kids getting an education now. The school now is actually registered with the government which puts them even at a higher level, uh, which is now, which has led to uh, water and electricity being piped into this village that, you know, because of the status, which is all great, but uh, again, what we were looking for was, yeah, but how do we change the economy? Mm. Uh, because there's, there's still, people who can't provide for the children because there's there aren't jobs uh and so what we're doing there we brought in the alternative curriculum and now uh the cool thing is the alternative curriculum is the prerequisite for being a part of this cooperative where you can get a, a microloan but you don't get the microloan until you've received the training because we know that without yeah. the training that that money is not well invested. Um, yeah. But it is very much, there'll be support groups of I think seven individuals who are effectively providing collateral for one another on their loans and things uh -huh. like that. Um, and so that's- And the accountability factor there, happen. right? Absolutely. The accountability yeah. so factor is really strong. Uh -huh. yes. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then alternatively in, uh, in Nepal, we're doing something where we're gonna start some small businesses that are actually a little bit larger, uh, not like a hundred dollar, but larger mm -hmm. than that sort of things that are being incubated by one of our partners who mm -hmm. you, you know well uh, and have worked with. Um, and those businesses will kind of be incubated and supported uh, for a period of time mm -hmm. them. So that'll, it'll be interesting to see how that develops as well. Uh, and again, that's another one of those things where the hope is that those businesses will thrive and then some of the profits of that will be uh, continue to pour into that ministry, um, almost like a tithe. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, thank you for helping me get my business started. I, I want well, to continue to support what you guys are doing. It's like an investment. It's like an investment, yes. Richard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so and like, where, hey, I actually I'm, find I'm that I'm funding you and funding you. So yes. where's yeah. my my percent? You know, I yeah. I, it just is a different, I, you know, a different way of thinking about things where people mm -hmm. are more. I don't want to say accountable. Uh, I don't know. They see that more serious about this as like this is this is a this is the way it's done. This is I don't know. Yeah. And so for those larger ones, like I, in order to get them into that very serious frame of mind, they actually submit business plans to me. Mm -hmm. And actually, thank you. You actually helped uh, kind of draft the structure for their business plans based on yeah. the curriculum that you guys have written. Um, and so now I'm starting to get some of those business plans back. And the cool thing is, I don't do this for all of them. Like I, I, for a hundred dollar business or whatever, I'm, I'm not going to really get into the nitty gritty. I trust my partners to do that. But for some of the larger business investments, um, we go back and forth. Uh, and I do this with our, the proposals from our partners as well on large scale projects is yeah, present your proposal to me, present your business plan to me, but I'm going to tear it to pieces. Mm. And it, you know, it may not bless you in the moment, but you'll thank me later. And they have, mm. um, but the, we're going to tear this apart and ask the really hard questions about this stuff. And so what it, it begins to help them think like, Hey, this is not, you know, impact nations is not giving me this money. This mm. is not charity. This is an investment and impact mm -hmm. Nations is expecting to mm -hmm. see a return on it. That return may look in different ways. It may be the return is I can support my family and, and yeah. you know, it's, everything's changed. It could be, I'm now giving back to 
uh, Impact Nation's partner organization on the ground so that that uh, mm -hmm. that ministry can continue to to impact well, other lives sure. after after me. Um, but yeah, it's shifting that. And I think when you really turn the spotlight and really just tear into, I, and I don't mean mean spirited way, you know, we do it with grace, but ask the hard questions, not just, oh yeah, it looks, this looks really nice rubber stamp. Here's, mm. you know, many hundreds of dollars. It's no, no, we're going to work together to figure out where are the flaws in this plan so we can address those now um, beforehand. And, yeah, and sometimes you can see a little further down the road of what those obstacles will be, or just imagining together helps helps you overcome you know overcome when, them when they arise and have a plan for that. Like yeah. I always think, like back to even our our organizations and our programs when we create like a logical framework. So a logical framework says, okay, if we have these inputs and we want to get these outputs, outcomes, and impacts, like what assumptions must be true? in order for that to happen. Not just like, hey, we're gonna give money, we're gonna build a thing, then we're gonna get clean water. Like, okay, well, what's the assumption? Well, the assumption is I can get, I can get the stuff, it's not gonna break, and clean water is actually gonna impact health. So if we can identify all those things, we can see where they're gonna go awry. Yeah. Absolutely, uh, yeah, and so for instance, because uh, we, we do that with our large projects with our partners too, is that very same, uh, that very same log frame. And what on the assumptions part, you know, if, the, if one of the assumptions is uh, that, you know, we're going to invest in this equipment and it's not going to get stolen, hmm. cool. let's ask how likely is yeah. that? What are you going to do to prevent it from being stolen? Because actually we know lots about your community and the yeah. chances of it being stolen is really high. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Unless we think about it ahead of time where we, yeah, can't plan accordingly. So that's good. I, I like that you guys are looking at those things. I think uh, the potential of those larger business to create more, more job opportunities is equally valuable. I don't want us to discount the uh, impact a job can make because we're, we're starting entrepreneurs. Not everyone's going to be an entrepreneur when, no. when our graduates take that certificate and go get a job, we call that a win, you know, like, not everyone will be, and that's okay. Now you've got basic business skills that are going to help you do your job well, get you employment, and you've also learned about how to budget for your household. Like Absolutely. All great stuff. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Well, I, I think we've gone over time. And so <laughs> I'm sure I so. thank our listeners for sticking to the end. Oh, that's me. I keep asking good questions. Well, what I think are good questions because I'm very interested <laughs> in the answer. But, uh, Lauren, thank you so much for spending time with us. If people want to learn more about alternative, where can they go to do that? Yeah, so our website is alternativeproject.org, and it's alternative with no E on the end, alternative, alternativeproject.org, um, and you can head over there if you're interested in learning more about our program. We actually are bringing our training online, so if you have you know, other organizations that you know of, we know a lot of our donors uh, are, are involved in lots of different ministries and lots of different things, so if there's somebody else you think that could benefit from a program like this, uh, feel free to share it. Yeah, and as you can tell, dear listener, I we Impact Nations a hundred percent wholeheartedly endorses this this curriculum. Yeah. It make a massive difference. So, um, yeah. thanks for what you do, Lauren. Thank you to your no team. We're all working tirelessly to make it happen. And uh, next for us is bringing this curriculum to India, uh, yeah. where we're we're doing some skills programs there. But we got to take the next step and get them the business training so they can go and yeah. thrive. So. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me. It was great to yeah. chat with you. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate it.